Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 16. It can be found on page 555 in the Pew Bible. 555 in the Pew Bible. We're going to look at verses, chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 16. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would take the words that I say and that you would apply them to our hearts and lives. We ask that you would work in us to no longer live the solo Christian life, but to pursue fellowship with one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. I received an article recently from a church member here that as I read it, I told her right away, that's a sermon illustration. And I said it was the sermon illustration in a few weeks, which is today. It's called Leaders and Loneliness. Leaders and Loneliness. It's an article that a, that a pastor writes about five of his friends who lost their ministries due to moral failure. I just want to read part of it here. Five. Most of these pastors were also well-known and celebrated beyond their local contexts. From the outside, it seemed that they were at their peak pastorally and relationally. How could it be otherwise? Their books sold like hotcakes. They had speaking engagements galore, and their adorning congregations devoured their words like honey. Surrounded by such acclaim, the one thing they couldn't possibly be is lonely. But the stage is a deceitful place because the stage can often be the loneliest space in the room. In their private lives, these five pastors were isolated relationally. Somewhere along the way, they substituted friendship with counterfeit versions of community as evidenced by their growing throng of unlike likes followers, and fans. But in reality, thousands of fans and followers are a very poor substitute for a handful of healthy, transparent, 
accountable, and loyal friends. Their isolation, not their moral failure, is what wrecked their ministries. Moral failure was the symptom, but isolation was the underlying disease. It is not good, the Lord said, for man to be alone. If this was true in paradise, it must also be true even more so in our current fallen world. In a similar way, Solomon addresses this problem of loneliness and isolation under the sun. And this this has relevance for our own lives today, even as we just read and saw and heard. And especially in light of our individualistic culture that we we live in, that, that creeps its way into the church. So my goal this morning is to, to warn us against the, the me and Jesus life and to show the futility of striving after success in whatever we do at the cost of relationships and community. So first, first we see the vanity of isolation. This is in your outline. The vanity of isolation, the, the loneliness of striving after gain. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. Again, I saw under the vanity under the sun one person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. As we saw last week, the problem of evil, and specifically the envy in people's hearts, motivates them to succeed in what they do in order to get ahead of their competition. In order to get to the top and then stay at the top, there's a tendency to do one's work in isolation. And Solomon sees this. He sees the vanity under the sun. He sees a, a person isolating themselves to pursue wealth and riches, and he's never satisfied. So he keeps working hard to achieve. And yet he's all alone. Notice he has neither son nor brother. And referring to a son or brother, this would have been the two closest relationships that they would have had at this time. Having a, a son or a brother would be the two people who would benefit from one's work. Right? They would share or they could share in the inheritance and the reward of their labor along with him. So what Solomon seems to be communicating here is that this person is alone. He has no one to share in what he has gained from his labor. He might actually gain some riches. He might actually succeed in his work because he is a hard worker. But perhaps he's cut off family ties and close relationships because of his work. And this is vanity. This is an unhappy business. Notice, there is no end to all his toil. And he's not satisfied with riches. He keeps working and working and working and working, thinking that success will bring him ultimate meaning and satisfaction. That's what the eye perceives. But it doesn't satisfy When we isolate ourselves from others in order to achieve success, in order to find value and meaning in what we do, ultimately it does not satisfy. 
So my question for you is this. Have you cut off relationships to focus on your work and what you can achieve and accomplish? Sometimes we feel like we can accomplish more when we are alone. And we might. It's just easier for me to do it alone. And get more done. I get it done quicker. But is that truly rewarding? Does that really benefit us in the long run? Notice the question in verse 8. For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This man is alone. He, he works hard. He, he is a self-achiever. And yet no family member benefits from his riches. He is toiling and doesn't even know who he is toiling for. In fact, not only does he have no one to share his riches with, he's not even toiling for himself. Right? In all his toil, he has deprived himself of pleasure because he's never satisfied in what he gains. He's too busy to take a break and enjoy the fruit of his labor. So here we have a picture of the person who works so hard in isolation to, to get to the top, to achieve gain, and there's no one to benefit, not even himself. This is vanity. This is an unhappy business. To work so hard for more and more wealth deprives us of enjoying life. It doesn't bring meaning. It doesn't bring satisfaction to work so hard in the present life and not to have anyone to share it with and not to find joy in the fruit of it. It can be a lonely business to strive after gain in order to get to the top, and it does not satisfy. So as we apply this, don't isolate yourselves from others. Be aware of isolating yourself. Sometimes we might isolate ourselves because we fear opening up, right? We, we've been hurt in the past. Relationships are messy. A few questions we can ask ourselves are these. Am I striving for success or riches or whatever it might be at the expense of relationships? Am I taking a break to enjoy the fruit of my labor? Are others allowed to share in it? Right? There, there is a danger in isolating ourselves, but there is great benefit in working together. And this is my second point, the value of community and relationships. There are many benefits of relationships and community and, and sharing in what we gain. Notice verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold, threefold cord is not quickly broken." So what is the value of community? What is the value of relationships? We see at least four benefits here in this section, which also show the disadvantages of isolating yourself. So verse 9, first verse 9, we have another better than statement. 
It's been a theme in Ecclesiastes. Notice again, verse 9. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their toil. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. The first benefit, then, is there is a good reward. Working together with others results in both people benefiting from their efforts. As they cooperate together in what they do, they are rewarded. They have a good return. Have you ever, have you ever observed or been a part of a great team? Have you ever seen how teams function together? And what's done well? There is great joy and benefit in sharing in the successes and the victories that you have with each other, isn't there? I've seen this in whatever way we've served as teams, whether it's in work situations, whether it's in sports, whatever it was, there is great benefit and joy in it when it all participate together. The second benefit of relationships is seen in verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So not only do we benefit and receive a good reward when two are together, but now, even during times of difficulty, right? The picture that's given in, verse, in this verse and in verses 11 and 12 is what you might see as people traveled and journeyed along in the ancient Near East. They didn't have the privileges that we do today. And so as people walk, as they journeyed on long trips from one place to another, there was potential of literally falling into pits. Pits were sometimes made to trap animals, wild animals. If you fall into a pit, you need someone then to to get you out of it. The idea here is that a friend can provide assistance. Someone is there to pick you up when you fall. There is a helper that can lift you up. And you can do the same if you see someone fall. The third benefit. Third benefit is in verse 11. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So the person finds himself traveling during the cold days and nights. And as they would rest outside on their journey, they don't have hotels like we do here, or heaters, they need to keep warm, right? They need to keep warm on a cold winter's night. And so they would keep warm by, by lying next to each other. And certainly not in a romantic way, like we often think of today because of the culture that we live in. So it's different You see, the value of two is that they could be a comfort to one another and for one another. The fourth benefit is in verse 12. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And now the person journeys at night. It's dangerous especially danger from from robbers. And alone, a person wouldn't be able to defend himself. But with two or three, they could withstand him. There is safety in numbers, isn't there? 
There is safety in numbers. There is someone with you who is able to protect you and defend you. And that's the image that we have here. So the value of two or three or more, the value of community and relationships is, is seen in its mutual reward, its mutual assistance and help, its mutual comfort, and its mutual protection and defense. And this is the way God has designed it from the beginning, is to be in relationship with others. We see this throughout the Bible, right? Consider Adam and Eve. Before sin entered the world, God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good. Everything was good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Genesis 2.18 is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God makes Eve. She was a suitable helper for Adam in the Garden of Eden. And together in relationship with each other, they would each carry out their role that God had given them. Israel, consider Israel as a nation, right? As a covenant community, they're they called out of Egypt to ultimately be a blessing to others, right? To be a light to the nations. And so, they were to care for the widows. They were to care for the orphans. They were to, to provide for the sojourners in the land. And in the Gospels, Jesus would send out his disciples two by two, right? Or in Acts chapter 2 and in chapter 4, the church displayed their love and concern for each other as they shared things in common with one another as they pooled their resources together to provide for those in need. The fruit of their labor was shared with others, and there was great joy in the church. Companionship, fellowship, community, and loving relationships is better than living in isolation with toil and no joy. The Christian life is often compared to as a race. Right? So it's a marathon, more so than a sprint. It is a long journey. So imagine, imagine that you are, you're running a marathon. You're running a long distance. How do you get through it? How do you endure the race? By going at it alone? Or by community and company and team and encouragement along the way that can lift you up and keep you going when you're tired and you want to give up, right? I'm going to broaden the application here. Are you running the race with someone? Are you running this Christian life with a group of people? People need you and you need people, right? We need others. I need you in order to endure the race, in order to keep going in the Christian life. Hebrews 10 says this, we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our life under the sun is not intended to be lived alone or in isolation. Mutual love and encouragement happens, or it should happen, as we gather together. 
right, as we commit our lives to one another. And that's where I want to encourage you to, to get plugged in, right, to take the next steps in our church or a church if you're a visitor. If you're a visitor, we, we welcome you here. We, we would love to have you all stay and be a part of this church. But wherever you go, look for a Bible-saturated, Christ-centered church where you can get plugged in and be a part of what's going on there. Perhaps the next step for some of us might be membership because what is membership? It is a, it's a covenant commitment. It's a public acknowledgement that says, this is the local team that I'm on. This is my team. Don't attempt to live the Christian life alone. Now, we recognize that just because you're in a church or you're a member or you're around a group of people, we could still feel alone, couldn't we? We saw this even in the story that I read from the beginning. These pastors felt alone. These were the pastors. So let's seek out people to share our lives with. If you see someone who might look alone, pursue them. Get to know them. So my word to children and youth is this. Children, youth, hear these words this morning. All right, this is how you apply this to your life. Run with other believers who can assist you, who can help you, who can defend you, and you do the same. Right? You hear me, it's, you hear me say this often, but you can tell a lot about a person based on who they're running, what they're running from, who they are running to or what they're running to, and who they are running with, right? So we run from sin, we run to Jesus, and we run with others who are doing the same. When you leave here, okay, this is youth, this is children, youth, all the way up. When you leave here and move on with your life, get plugged into a local church, a Bible-believing, Christ-centered church. And I can't emphasize that enough. Not just a Christian organization, but a local church. Organizations come and go. I saw this and experienced this in my own time in college. When the organization was gone from their life, they turn to other social clubs. Adults and parents, adults and parents, here's my word to you. Do what you can to encourage fellowship, to encourage fellowship, relationships, and community in a church. Right? It's a blessing to be a part of this church. It is a privilege to be a part of Pleasant Ridge and what we're doing here. I've observed deeper relationships occurring through our Wednesday night activities as a result of our Wednesday night activities, Sunday school, small groups, youth group, and then the various annual events that we have here. It is a blessing to see you all come together. And I feel like we do this well, and I just want to keep encouraging us to do this. 
Okay, let's continue to find ways to help and assist and comfort and protect and defend one another, just as Jesus has done for us. Through his death on the cross, we see the perfect image of a friend. He is our Savior. He is our helper. He is our keeper and our friend. And he is with us to the end. Third and finally, third and finally, we see here the the vanity of success. Solomon saw the vanity of a person striving for success in in 7 and 8, right? So they're striving for success in 7 and 8. And then he shows this value of companionship and fellowship in 9 through 12. And now what he does is he takes us a step further in these verses. And he communicates the vanity of the person that has achieved. They've, They've arrived. Not only are they not striving for success and isolating themselves, and now they've, they've made it, right? There is loneliness that comes as a result of gain. Popularity is futile and doesn't last. Being at the top is a lonely place. That's what we're going to see here. Look, at, look now again at verses 13 through 16. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who can't come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. So again, we have another better than statement. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. It's better to be poor and wise than it is to be old and foolish. And in this story, the old and foolish king has rejected the counsel of others. Perhaps because he's at the top, right? He's achieved. I've arrived. Why would I, who's arrived, need to take advice from anybody? That's what the king is probably thinking. He's at the top of the mountain. The king was the highest position of power. This position was the pinnacle of success. This is what all people desire to, to achieve and be. Which is why we see in Israel's history, in Judges and in 1 Kings, Abimelech and Adonijah seek to exalt themselves as kings. And this old and foolish king no longer knew how to take advice. Perhaps he did when he was younger. But success has gone to his head. And now he pushes people away And he refuses to listen to their wisdom and instruction. This is an arrogant and prideful person. An arrogant and prideful person refuses the counsel of others. Perhaps because they don't think they need it. Let's guard against this in our own hearts. Let's be open to counsel and instruction from others. Let's allow others to speak wisdom into our own lives even when we're older. 
The old and foolish king, in refusing to take advice, has isolated himself from others. It's lonely at the top. And the foolish, prideful king has brought it upon himself. Solomon then describes that the poor and wise youth went from prison to the throne, though he had been poor in his own kingdom. So the wise youth now achieved success. Right? This sounds similar to the story of Joseph. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph in Genesis, Joseph was rejected by his brothers. He's sold into slavery, and then he goes from prison. Joseph ends up in prison to the place of power, second in command under Pharaoh. He became the ruler over Egypt. And he was in charge of the people. He had great popularity. However, this too is fleeting. Because after he died, another Pharaoh, another king rose up after him who who didn't know Joseph. So we see the vanity of success. Notice verse 16. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after. When the, so the one who rises to the top, even if that person is filled with wisdom, he too will have people that aren't pleased with him. His popularity is short-lived. The people will not rejoice in him. Listen to how the New Living Translation describes this scene. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. And Verse 16, endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. This is vanity and a striving after wind. For the person who sought to isolate themselves, to get to the top, when they finally arrive, they realize that's a lonely place to be as well. Crowds may flock to him at first, but in the end, it doesn't last. Striving for ultimate meaning from success is vanity. It is futile. Loneliness comes as a result of gaining success. Certainly we could think of some examples of people who have sought to reach to the top in their profession only for them to see that it is futile, it is lonely. Right? We could think of presidents, right? popularity of presidents even in our own day. They rise to the top and the people no longer rejoice in them, do they? Famous athletes, celebrities, and perhaps managers in our own job, perhaps pastors, perhaps ourselves. Though popular at first, eventually people will no longer be satisfied in him. He will be forgotten. So, as we are reminded of the vanity of success, Let's not seek the praise of others. Let's not live for fame or fortune. But let's live for Jesus, who was despised and rejected for us. 
who was a wise and humble servant and is now exalted as king to the right hand of God the Father. He will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and he will never forget us. He will never forget you. He is the only one that can truly satisfy you. So I want to encourage you this morning to remember that ultimate meaning does not come from isolating ourselves to achieve success. Let's continue to build Christ-honoring relationships with one another, and let's strive to live in community with one another. Better to be poor and wise with friends who can share in it. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Let's pray. Two are better than one. And certainly we've experienced this, we've seen this, and we know that we do not walk this life alone because we know, Lord, that you are with us. You are with us. And so we want to extend what you have done to others. We want to come alongside others. We want to build relationships with others so they might not feel isolated. They might not strive for meaning in the things that they do, but in Jesus. And so would you help us as a church continue to find ways to encourage each other, to help each other, to protect one another, to promote one another? Would you do that for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.